0: Well, good morning to each and to all of you today. Whether you're here with us in person or joining us online, we're thrilled to be one family. I'm reminded uh, from time to time what an amazing family this is. I was sharing with Sue Ann before the service that last night, Amy and I traveled out to Naperville for one of those marvelous outdoor concerts that are done during the summer days, sort of a Ravinia-like experience. We were with a couple of friends there and we were meeting a workmate of my wife's. Uh, we had, uh, were navigating via cell phone connections to try and locate where they were in this massive crowd and we finally picked our way to our, our seats on the lawn uh, in one uh, area of this mass of thousands of people and sat down and promptly turned around and saw two other church members of Christ Church right behind us. (laughs) And I thought, what a marvelous family this is. Uh, We're scattered in many different locations, but bound together by the melody of God's grace that works in our hearts and our lives. And I hope today that that melody will become even stronger for us, that uh, we may find ourselves moving to it even further as we reflect upon God's word together uh, on a most important matter of our lives. Would you just bow your head one more time with me as we come before him in prayer? And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our great rock and our redeemer, for it is in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Many years ago, through the voice of the Apostle Paul, God once challenged a a young pastor by the name of Timothy to preach a message to his congregation. His congregation was the church at Ephesus in the ancient world, one of the great cosmopolitan cities of that time in ancient Asia Minor, what we would call modern-day Turkey today. It was an affluent, fast-paced, cosmopolitan kind of city, and Paul challenged Timothy to preach a message which I could imagine having been titled, if they gave titles in those days to sermons, how to be really rich. How to be really rich. This is exactly what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life, so that they may be really rich. Now if Timothy were trying to follow those same instructions today and to speak to you and to me this morning, I think he would have a significant challenge. I would call it indeed an obstacle right at the start. And, and the problem is that few of us probably think of ourselves as that rich, at least in material terms. Uh, I know that there are probably not too many of us in the circle that are living below the poverty level these days, uh, which I found out this week is $31,000 for a family of five or $13,000 for a family of just one. I imagine there may be some in our congregation who find themselves in that particular uh, place in life, Uh, but according to the records of DuPage County, again, I verified this this week, 93% of us are are well above that uh, line. A quick survey of our clothes and our cars, our jewelry and our technology suggests that most of us are enjoying a standard of living that's Okay, it's certainly uh, higher than uh, at any point in human history and it is a standard that is much higher than most of the other people in the world are experiencing today. And yet, we don't always feel rich, do we? It's interesting. Uh, there was a time when being a millionaire was regarded as stunning. When I was growing up, there was a show called The Millionaire, and this person, I just thought, wow, and there was the Beverly Hill Hillbillies, they were millionaires, and I thought, wow, they are a very unusual kind of breed of people. Today, there are 20 million households in America with a net worth of at least 1 million, 8 million households that are in the multi-millionaire category. As Fast Company Magazine reports, for the average Joe, a garden suburb mortgage, a a school tuition, an SUV in the garage, and spring break in Vail or someplace like that makes a six-figure salary feel like almost nothing. Meanwhile, it's impossible to escape the barrage of images of the rich life, the truly rich life, the super-sized American life that are constantly being pummeled, we're being pummeled with. Uh, the new entry-level Ferrari this week I discovered starts at 215,000. That's just the entry level of the, that model of car. You can buy a Virtu cell phone for a mere $6,000 and that's the low model if you want the really nice one It can cost you as much as $88,000 for a cell phone. The top end, Johnny Walker Blue Label Scotch goes for $450 a bottle and twice that in clubs. That's living rich. No wonder we don't feel rich if we're not among the very unusual slice of people that actually buy these kinds of things. But strangely, in the midst of all of the remarkable affluence of our time, so many of us have a different internal experience. In the last 50 years, average US household incomes have increased by 49% corrected for inflation. Almost 50% growth in the last 50 years. Yet in the list of 20 happiest countries, Americans came in number 19. Isn't that interesting? Number 19 out of 20, and that was the year before COVID struck. You could understand how we might have had a hard time in this last year. Most of us are better paid, better fed, better educated, better entertained than ever before. Yet anxiety, depression, opioid addiction, suicide rates are up and again, that was even before the pandemic started. It's really bizarre that our, our lifestyles are packed with more stuff than ever, but we still seem, at least many seem, to feel emptier. We're consuming more, but enjoying it less, And maybe this is part of what the Apostle Paul was trying to get to, that phenomenon that exists in some form even in his time, even in an affluent place like Ephesus, when he urged Timothy to talk to his congregation about the money thing. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. I got to thinking this week about that statement, uh, that wealth is so uncertain. I thought to myself, in what sense is that actually true? How have I experienced wealth to be uncertain? And then I thought, well, for one thing, wealth, wealth can be pretty uncertain in its flow. It can be a mighty stream sometimes, moving fast, surrounding you, catching you up uh, in its flow, and then quite suddenly it can stop flowing. You can lose your job, there can be a reversal in the market, there can be a calamity or crisis that takes the resources away that you used to be able to depend on. There can be a change in a relationship with somebody that was a conduit of those resources and suddenly it dries up to a trickle. And if I have built the house of my identity, if my security in the deepest sense is rooted in in the house I've built next to that flowing stream, who am I, where do I turn when that stream dries up to a trickle? Even where the income stream is fairly dependable, wealth, as the world defines it anyway, is also somewhat uncertain in its fruit. I know it's cliche to say that money doesn't buy happiness, but it's true. I would go as far as to say, money can buy plenty of anesthetic if you're not happy. can buy a lot of distractions that numb you to the underlying reality or internal condition. Um, but, But the notion that money can just deliver happiness is is kind of a crazy one. I think most of us are tuned to that. We have certainly known plenty of affluent people that were very joyful. So I'm not trying to suggest that there's something intrinsically problematic about money itself. But I don't know about you. I have certainly met more than a few people for whom worldly wealth, the, the chase for it, the, the effort to conserve it, to, to, um, to, to keep storing it, Uh, to upgrade it, uh, the distractions and the destructions that come with it sometimes uh, can be bitter fruit indeed. I think I told many years ago the story of of a guy I sat next to uh, on a Southwest flight uh, going up from San Diego to San Francisco who had won a $26 million lottery. And it had destroyed his family. It had wrecked his relationship with his dad. His wife had taken the money and run her half of it and run with it. Uh, And now this man was voluntarily uh, serving in a a homeless shelter because there he found meaning. The the money had not been the key. And there are many stories like this. As the Garden of Eden itself tells us, one of the serpent's biggest lies is that you can spell happiness, M-O-R-E. Think about the garden surrounded by paradise itself. Adam and Eve still weren't fully happy. They were seduced into thinking, maybe if we have just that little bit more. Maybe most importantly of all, worldly wealth is uncertain in its force. Uh, In its flow, in its fruit, and in its force. How many people do you know, think about this question, this is something I really want you to answer for yourself, how many people do you know whose wealth drove them right into the arms of God? It happens now and then. I, I know of a couple that I can think of who found themselves so blessed with material things that they started going to church just because they felt so thankful because they wanted wisdom with which to to make use of and to guide the use of uh, all with which they've been prospered. But how many other stories could any of us tell of folks who got financially fat and then faithless? Now think about that. Jesus said that material wealth, what he personified with the word mammon, uh, is a spiritual force. Uh, it is not necessarily just a neutral thing. It has a tendency to take over, uh, to, to drive us out of the kingdom of God into the kingdom of kingdom. It can drive us to think of ourselves as the owner of life instead of, of thinking of the God who actually is the owner. It can make us forget the, our identity as stewards of the master and can push us to bury more and more resources in ourselves. It can even lead us sometimes into debtor's prison. Wealth can force out of our minds the reality that we will one day all be evaluated for how good and faithful we were with what we had and and not be value, evaluated so much as the world tends to measure by how much we have. Mammon can drive us into thinking it's about how much we have, not about what we do with what we have. There was a time, and some of you remember it, when the word success was used to describe the benevolent influence of people's lives. When... when to, when when someone could not be called a success who was mainly self-serving? How many successful people do we see in society today who strangely don't have a vision of being a conduit so much as being a container for all they have? Jesus once told a a stirring parable about a rich man named Dives who after his death suddenly realized that he'd been on the wrong track in his life. You can read the story in Luke chapter 16 for yourself. dives had been given so much in life, but he had ignored the plight of the poor on his doorstep and the poor personified in Jesus' parable by a man named Lazarus. Deves had pursued success without significance, we might say, or without surrender. He had gone for comfort without charity. And now burning in a hell of separation from God, Deves begs for this chance to return to the earth and to give his brothers a message. And in Jesus' famous story, God denies the request. But I bet every one of us knows exactly what the message would have been had DiVes been able to deliver it, exactly what thousands, who knows, maybe millions of now enlightened but no longer living people would cry out to us from the grave about if only they had the voice to tell us the truth about where we should be investing ourselves. The message would, I think, be this command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain in its flow and its fruit and its force. And then the message would go on as it does go on through the words of St. Paul, command them to put their hope in God. Redeploy their investment strategy. From the uncertainty of wealth to hope in God. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, the text says. Now I hope you really take in that last part with me. Because there's such good news in that last part. Some people I know have this vision of God as some kind of celestial Scrooge standing up there on the balcony of heaven looking down with irritation at human pleasures. I I think I had a view of God like that once upon a time myself. Or we think of him as some kind of gray-bearded Grinch who gets very irritated when people party it up in this life. But God, this text tells us and Jesus tells us in many other places, is nothing like this. The scripture here says that God richly provides us with everything for what? For our enjoyment. What's the central word in enjoyment? For our joy meant. And actually, the, the, the prefix, E N, means, means uh, into. He wants joy to come into us and he wants us to enter into joy. This shouldn't be surprising. Every single one of us who is a parent knows how much delight we take when we watch our children opening their presents on Christmas morning. What grandparent doesn't delight in the thought of seeing the grandchildren when they have gifted them with something wonderful? Every single one of us who has ever loved another person uh, has felt the excitement of seeing them surprised by something that we've prepared for them and gifted them with. God is just like this. More like this. We're like this because he's first and foremost like this. The God of the Bible is the one who commanded Israel to throw feasts and parties. It's, he wrote it into the commandments. I want you to celebrate the goodness of life. Uh, he's the one who commanded tithing, the, the giving of the first 10% of fruits to the temple, partly to make sure that the widow and and the fatherless uh, would have enough to be successful in life themselves, but also so there would be enough money in the treasury to throw feasts and parties. That's very clear from the Old Testament. One of the reasons that Jesus so irritated the Pharisees was because he insisted on living it up now and then in a way that the Pharisees did not associate with religious behavior. Uh, This man sits with sinners and eats and drinks with them and, and enjoys life. He's the guy who changed a mere water into wine that the celebration might go. It was 150 gallons of wine that Jesus supplied for that particular wedding. Summing up his mission on the earth, Jesus said, and I quote, I have come in order that you might have life more stingily No, more abundantly, more abundantly. I have taught you all that I have, said Jesus, later on in John's gospel. All that I've taught you is so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. And the word there for complete really carries the notion of overflowing, overspilling joy. Jesus was saying here and in many other places, God wants your life to be really rich. He wants it to be really rich. But the key part to understand, and sometimes we hear televangelists, somebody, somebody once called me a televangelist. Didn't like that at all. I'm not a, t- if I am, I'm not that kind of, be- Because so often the televangelists will communicate this message that that health, wealth, and, and financial prosperity is mainly what God wants for you. It's mainly the measure of how much he loves you or how pleasing you are in his sight. But real richness is something different than that. Real richness comes from drawing closer and closer to God. I have met people at the end of their life who had let go of so many of the things of this world and yet who displayed a richness in their soul that was just spectacular, incandescent and so impressive. Real richness comes from getting closer to God and sometimes we actually have to let go of material things to get close to God. It's why Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell what you have, give to the poor, then come follow me. He could see that for that particular guy, he was too caught up in the kingdom of thingdom and he was not, he was missing out. That was blocking him from going further in the opening of his life to the purposes of God. Real richness, I think, is the contentment that comes from trusting God for daily bread. And sometimes that's all he can give us its just the assurance of of enough for today. And and getting to that place in life, I I know for me, it it requires constantly praying, God, please, please wean me from my addiction to the devil's seven-layer cake that I think I should have. Uh, Give me some kind of clarity, especially living in this land of such incredible material wealth. Give me some clarity about what contentment looks like. I think that Jesus is trying to call us to the kind of rich joy that is his true joy. I mean, think about what he rightfully had and how he entered into this world in the way that he did and how he was able nonetheless to look around him at simple gatherings of friends, simple bread and wine the flowers of the field, the birds of the air, and feel so rich and enjoy it so much that he wanted to constantly point to the rest of us and say, don't miss it. The kingdom of God is like that. Don't miss it. It's the spiritual health and the heavenly wealth and the recession-proof prosperity that comes to us when, like Jesus himself, we have it all but we choose to give ourselves away for the sake of others. Do you get giving? I don't know how many years you've been walking with Jesus, Um, but do you get giving? Do you know why you give? It's not for the tax break mainly, right? Right? It's not because you'd be embarrassed if you didn't put something into the offering plate or into the envelope at the fundraiser. It's not because you're guilty about all of the other ways you spend your money. That's not the driver. It's not because you're trying to tip God or to earn his approval. If I'm ruthlessly honest with myself, I will confess I've probably given for all of those reasons at one time or another. Um, But as I quickly get older (laughs) and as I slowly get a little bit more spiritually mature, my own giving, and I pray your giving, is more and more motivated by better angels, by higher impulses, I give because I've been given so much and it just seems a natural way to express the gratitude I feel. I give because I see other people who have needs that I know God's given me capacity to address. I give because in doing so it moves me closer to God and every time I give In some small way, I'm imitating him, the ultimate giver. I give because, just like Jesus said, every time I put my treasure where God is working, my heart comes stumbling behind. I give because I know that St. Paul is right, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and I'm trying to break off the affair. I give because contentment is a more beautiful way of living than avarice and restless acquisition. Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain. And I don't know how I'm ever going to really find out if that's true until I learn to be more content with what I already have instead of always lusting for the goddess more. But there's one additional reason I'm trying to grow in my giving as I imagine you are too. I don't know if you've ever um, been, if you're a a cemetery visitor. Uh, Some of us are cemetery visitors. Um, There's just enormous clarity that comes from walking through a graveyard. And there's a particular graveyard I visited many years ago called the Forest Lawn Cemetery in Los Angeles. Uh, It is frequently referred to locally as Disneyland for the dead. And the reason is, is, is it's a pretty spectacular place, really. Um, You find all these uh, ornate graves and memorials. You'll see the names of celebrities on these stones and on these mausoleums. A lot of really famous people have been buried there, and some of them in the strangest kinds of ways. One particular man had himself buried... Sitting up in his Cadillac, they dug a hole big enough to get the entire car with him sitting in it and with a cigar glued into his mouth. And, and, and a groundskeeper observing this nearby was, was, was uh, said to have uh, muttered, man, that's really living. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. As St. Paul observes, we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. And I want to remember that it's not what I store up here that counts. I will not be able to keep it anyway. You've all heard the adage, there's never been a, a, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse, right? Right? So I want to I practice holding things loosely in this life. I want to learn to have faith, hope, and love be my main treasure. And the things that I can do to grow in my faith, hope, and love, I want that to be my main way of thinking about how I use resources. Because as St. Paul remarks, those alone remain. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, love, love these three remain. They're they're the only things that stay behind. Uh, And they are what life in heaven will be all about. Heaven is all about faith, hope, and love. So everything I can do to prepare myself here to make that my priority will make me more at home there. And that's true for you too. So that's why I've preached this little message today. It's because I need it every bit as much as anybody does. It's why I'm not scolding you at all. I'm just inviting you. I'm inviting myself, all of us, to the glory for which we were made when I dare to say in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I command you to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, and to be willing to share. For in this way, we will lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life and be really, really rich.